Welcome to This Is Your Afterlife, conversations with artists and activists about death and life. My name is Dave Marr. I'm the host of the show. I'm a comedian. I live in Chicago, and I survived a month-long coma almost nine years ago. Now I have this show, show, where I talk to interesting, thoughtful people who are thinking about the way the world could work either through their artistic work, through their organizing work, or both. And my guest this week is Tim Barnes. And this conversation was so fucking good. Just a uniquely good episode. I don't do this show to be funny. I don't do this show to draw attention to myself. I do this show to draw attention to the show. But it's not just an ego stroker. But Hopefully you'll be able to relate to the feeling of certain people who just make you feel funny around them. Make you, yeah, exactly. And like, it's not even, it's so hard to quantify. Like you see them and it's almost like they're ready for you to just be funny and not like super joking. I feel this way around a lot of the neo-futurists. By the way, speaking of which, the last episode with Neil Bandari, I pronounced his name Neil Bardani, and holy shit, that is not his name. It is Neil Bandari, and I was trying so hard not to get it confused with Neil Bardhan that I did get it confused, so... Yeah, so I, I I have already apologized to Neil, but just know that I know what his name is and, and how to pronounce it. But anyway, he and a lot of the other neo-futurists, I feel funny around. Tim is another one of those people, and I didn't even really know it. We'd had a good conversation years ago when he was still in Chicago doing stand-up. And from there, us talking about comedy, about even a little bit of sci-fi. I think he's a deeper sci-fi guy than I am but also being embodied and the desire not to be embodied. That's something I've been thinking a lot about with the new one-man show that I've been writing, which I I don't mind saying the new one-man show. I mean, it's good. I'm going to be performing it this year and I do have an official title. I haven't made an announcement uh, publicly on social media or anything, but I I feel comfortable saying here that the show is going to be called here to make friends. So that's my, new show and i've been thinking a lot about the desire to disappear in a lot of ways and among other things and tim is thinking about that too so it was just so great to have a conversation with him i think you know i've been pretty open with you here about when i'm going through it mental health wise uh, the the machinations of the show and when booking is hard. And I do that because, you know, w- one of the things that initially made me want to make stuff was seeing pop punk bands in high school at my local, uh, I was called the Blue Ash Civic League. 
It was just a rec center uh, in Blue Ash, Ohio, and punk bands would play there. And seeing these people in my high school, from my high school, starting bands, the whole point being they're not trying to sign merch afterwards, forget their autograph. What they want to do is inspire you to do the same thing. Um, I hope that this show can function in a similar way. And so sometimes I, f- I fear I'm getting a little too emo with things, but I will say that the show is, this show is in a, a bit of a, a growing phase right now. Not, <laughs> not in, although a little bit in terms of audience, but it's not like we've like ballooned there, but more in terms of my approach to the show, my approach to booking really is what a lot of it is. Um, early on, I had some some big names that I wanted to reach out to who either accepted or declined the invitation, a lot of whom accepted. And then I went through phases where I had like my closest friends on. And I want to say I'm very proud of the show. Uh, I'm proud of basically every episode I have in, in certain episodes, you'll notice, uh, mentioned a couple that I, uh, that I, that I'm, that I think are less than perfect. And I will never say which ones those are. But if, if you're a guest who's listening, a previous guest or a future guest, uh, know that it's not yours. It, genuinely, if you're wondering that it's not yours. If you're listening, it's, it's not yours. So anyway, I've been through those phases where I have had close friends on and then I noticed it was a bunch of like white guys. And so I had to like push beyond that. I've challenged myself to book, you know, various quotas of, of comedians versus other types of artists, etc. And I'm in a phase right now where there's some people who are, would be really big guests for the show for me. And, and they're not like national names, uh, you know, some of whom are like very close to me who are just a little hesitant, but it's had to, it's made me have to think about who I'm asking on the show and, and to think more to just to think differently about who I'm booking. And that's ultimately a good thing. And I say that, um, and, and I'm, I'm so afraid that by saying that, in front of any episode, it makes it sound like the guest who I'm ultimately introducing with this intro is like a second class guest or something. Could not be further from the truth. In fact, this might be the perfect episode to say this because Tim is is one of, I think, the best guests I've ever had on the show. I think this is one of the best conversations I've ever had on the show. And it came about... He's been a guy on my mind. I follow him on Twitter, and I always like his stuff. He's written for The Tonight Show. You know, he has his own uh, cartoon, three episodes of which came out a year ago, uh, Maurice on Mars. And he's got a couple substacks now, a podcast called Yub Nub about Star Wars. And so he's he's doing stuff, and I knew there was something there with him. But I don't think I would have, you know, the need to 
think differently about how I'm booking guests of this show is what ultimately made me reach out. And I'm so glad I did. So hopefully this show is getting wider and deeper and more ambitious all at the same time, is all I'm saying. So hopefully that's not too navel-gazy. You understand what I'm doing here and are happy to be part of it. And if you want to be an even bigger part of it, the way to do that is to support the show financially. You can do that at the $5 afterhead level or the $15 pigeon level on Patreon, patreon.com slash Dave Marr. The pigeon level patrons get their names shouted out on the podcast. So shout out to Katie Llewellyn, Fred Fidawa, Susie Carroll, John Lee, Shuba Singh, and Debo. And please join up. You'll get after show episodes. You'll get afterlife movie club episodes. You'll get full conversations. And I would love to have you there. Also, we are at 24 uh, ratings on Apple Podcasts. I want to go to 50. I know that's the kind of episode, you know, goal I should have set after reaching 25. It's like, you know, but fuck it, whatever. Let's get 50 reviews in Apple Podcasts. I really appreciate the new review that someone wrote. In fact, maybe I'll maybe I'll read that now. If you if you write a review of the show, I will I'll definitely read it out. I mean, please if we have if we get to the point where so many people have written in that I can't read all the reviews up top, I, that'd be an incredible thing. But we're not there. So here's the review. Five stars. This is a great show. Love this podcast. Dave cares deeply about the show, and you can feel it as you listen. He's a fantastic artist, host, and comedian. He finds interesting guests with a lot to say. A lot of the shows are funny, but I've found many to be deeply moving, making me feel introspective and appreciative. Subscribe. I thank you for very much for those things. I, I really can't emphasize enough that like the symbiotic nature of this work that I'm creating and that you're listening to is such that little reviews like that, you know, that probably took at most five minutes out of that person's day. And that feedback is so helpful. I can, I can live off one of those for several days at the very least you know and that kind of encouragement is like when things get bad when things get frustrating when things get tough when i'm hitting my head against a wall with booking when i'm wondering why i even do the show i i see those things and i remember them and so i hope i hope you contribute those things and i hope this show contributes enough to your life that doing something like that feels worthwhile so with that said, I think it's time to get to the episode. So I'm really excited for you to hear this. Thanks for listening to this extended introduction. And without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Tim Barnes. I grab your whip and take it back to Shotown. When I'm in Shotown, I treat it like Paint your hell. A custom hell designed for you, wow. Tim Barnes. Yeah. Uh, should I, so that, that's it. That's how I should start. My hell is a hallway of retail store mirrors 
You know how you go Why into, retail store mirrors? You never look right in a retail store mirror. It makes you question everything about, and for me at least, a retail store mirror makes me question everything about my life. And a lot of, a lot of things I, I, uh, struggle with is like, I'm always thinking about perception and thus I'm always trying to control my perception, which makes me a very boring person. Uh, but, but it's, it's, uh, a, a, cause you're just sanding off edges. You yeah. Mean? Just, yeah, yeah, yeah. That it's is like, really funny. Yeah. So it's a, you're walking through a hallway of retail store mirrors that make you question everything you think about your projected self. And, uh, and then you, at the end of the hallway is, uh, is a football game and <laughs> a never ending football game. And uh, live or on television or live, like you're in a, you're in a, no, no, it's on television. It's a football game. Okay. On are you television. by yourself or are you with other no? People? And you're just surrounded by family that doesn't understand you. <laughs> yeah. And uh, the football game never ends, and there's not there's nothing else you can. There's nothing else you can go to. There's no books. There's no room to escape to. No <laughs> laser discs. <laughs> no laser discs. <laughs> okay. I the football game makes sense to me, but I want but I wanna understand about the retail store mirrors. <laughs> Are they they the, because the thing about retail store mirrors, I think you must have heard this rumor that they like slightly curve them or something to make you look better. It's not that retail store more store I mirrors. never feel that. I never feel that I look better in a retail store mirror. Oh, okay, cuz I thought yeah. that's the kind of question you were like, "Listen, I'm yeah. used to my mirrors. I don't <laughs> like the false hope these are giving me." That could be it. Maybe unconsciously my brain does some sort of switcheroo where But you're my, saying you feel like shit. You look at I a feel retail like store I look mirror. at retail mirrors, I, I feel like shit. When I look in my okay. mirror in my own bathroom, I feel like, oh yeah, I know that guy. That guy's great. Yeah. But then <laughs> a retail st- maybe it's the clothes that I'm trying on. Maybe that's it. Maybe or maybe it- <laughs> <laughs> I always start two sizes too small. <laughs> No, yeah, I know what you're saying. Is it and and retail store mirrors are giving you different angles than you're used to seeing. Yeah, different angles You've and got there's that like diagonal angle. Yeah, and there's that yeah. horrible even light in retail stores too. Mm-hmm. That like, yeah. Mm-hmm. So there's something about it that, and I also hate the re, like I hate um, shopping for clothes in general. Like I try and go in and out really fast. Right. I hate lingering, and so that's a part of the hell too. <laughs> is your shop is your shopping for some what are you shopping for is there a specific item that is the worst to shop for um well i mean in my own personal life it's like uh, i can't you know i can't find pants at target i have to go to a special big man store mm-hmm, for, for mm-hmm, jeans mm-hmm. <laughs> which is the uh, worst because when you look up like clothes for big guys or whatever yeah, yeah. The, the 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 articles always are like Target's got great, like they go yeah. up to size like forty four, and you're like, okay, like we just need like a couple more inches here. You know, what I mean, I don't know if that's your experience. That's my experience. Yeah, everything least. else, yeah. I uh, clothes shopping is just yeah, that's the worst. So, um, yeah, I think that's no like yeah, it's weird. I I you know the hell imagery. I'm not getting any like uh, fire or uh, mm-hmm. you know physical torture or anything like that. It's strange and psychological like a twilight zone episode 
what do you hope happens when you die? What do I hope happens when you die? I do think there's a a beauty to nothingness. In fact, I I, I my happy mo- maybe ha- my most zen. I mean, everyone knows that's kind of like you focus on nothingness when you meditate and mm-hmm. uh, th- um. But I yeah, and I I hope that there's a peace that comes with that final. It feels like there's a hopefully some sort of final catharsis or final realization uh with death and i hope th- i just hope it's just sort of like a piece and then um and then uh yeah and i i it's weird i i used to like i i grew up religious and i used to think of it like that was my big i was obsessed with death and like that idea of like not knowing and and also the trappings around it of like of this heaven and hell thing and then mm-hmm. like you're telling me that someone who who doesn't Grow up believing this exact thing is going like, it's just, right, it's just right, who doesn't right, right. make this this one particular choice goes mm-hmm. to uh on top of all the other rules that there's this <laughs> right right on top of the ten commandments they also this is kind to- of the main this is like the one that undergirds all the other <laughs> yeah. main rules right exactly um but as soon as I started to to focus on well there's a point in time in which I didn't exist so the point in which I don't exist after this isn't that crazy either. I don't remember not existing. Uh, and, and so, yeah. uh, <laughs> that's kind of, uh, that, this like loophole that I keep falling into. But th- those are the, the piece that, that's the piece that I get when I, um, thinking about how vast the universe is and how unknowable it is gives me peace. Everything else, when, once people put rules on it, I get uncomfortable. Yeah. So do you think your interest is, I mean, speaking of the vastness, does your interest in the sci-fi stuff translate to definitely this? Definitely. Like, yeah. Does it feel comforting or does it feel like it just scratches that unknowing itch or something? Yeah. Well, I think the, the fact that there's never not a question that emerges is it's like, it's always a journey, the sci-fi stuff or like learning new things about like uh, the James Webb telescope stuff. Have you followed this? Oh, wait, (laughs) these are the images that we got, like, last year, maybe. Yeah, yeah. There's, like, Yeah, that shit freaks me out. It's really freaky, and there's, like... It really scares me. (laughs) Like, legitimately, the scariest thing to me is But there's a beauty to it as well. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. (laughs) And the images are beautiful. I watched... There was a a 60 Minutes special that came out before it launched, and then one, like, since it launched, where they got those images... And something about the tone of this calm journalist, like, interviewing people and talking about, and then we found out that maybe the Big Bang didn't, ha- like, things things like this, they didn't wow, happen yeah. the way we thought. But, right, uh, right. yeah, it's uh, the strangeness of it's taking images of the past, because everything we see from the stars is light from so long ago, mm-hmm, and all that mm-hmm. we're seeing is the moment that it reaches us, so... This idea of this thing taking images, like taking images of the past and getting a greater understanding about how things came to be and like how the galaxies are probably going to emerge and all this kind of stuff. Um, yeah, I love it. And uh, I, yeah, that ties into why I think about science fiction a lot. And, uh, and science fiction, particularly when I, I think it's watching science fiction or science fiction concepts puts, uh, Every everyone on Earth in 
a weird predicament when it comes to talking about certain things. Like, for instance, mm-hmm. I love going to the movies ever since I was a kid. And uh, one of my birthdays, uh, uh, my dad, I think, was like, oh, yeah, Tim wants to go see this movie. And so it got my grandma and like some of my uncles to go see, which one is this? Mission to Mars with okay. Don Cheadle in it. Okay. And I remember being a kid and my, my grandma was in this movie. Very religious woman. And the premise of this movie is that Earth was pollinated by like Martian DNA. Like Martians put their DNA <laughs> into, yeah. into Earth's ocean. And yeah. then we are the, and then we are the product of that. <laughs> And like it, it sparked no discussion afterwards. And I thought that was like so fascinating. Like science fiction also gives you this sort of lens into this thing where it doesn't feel like if they, if if, if this movie was straight up about evolution without a sci-fi element, mm-hmm. that, would, mm-hmm. that would have been <laughs> completely different. So spark no discussion because you think she compartmentalized. Yes. Like, this is the make-believe of this movie. It yeah, doesn't yeah. even necessarily <laughs> speak any truth to... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah that, I, that I think that's why I love it. Although, it feels like the ideal thing. I mean, maybe not, depending on the grandma, depending on the type of in, and intensity of religious belief, it seems like, ideally, it would be nice to have a little bit of conversation sparked. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, and to be like, so I was a kid, too. Maybe they didn't have any conversation, you know, oh. while I was walking to the car. But, but yeah, but I remember it being like, and I remember just like internally having this thought of like, huh, no one's talking, no one's talking about, and and also it was a very boring movie to take, you know. It was, yeah, it, yeah, 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 yeah. Birthday. <laughs> well, that's what's crazy about the Octavia Butler stuff, man. I've only yeah. read Parable of the Sower all mm-hmm. the way through, but yikes, yikes! Is it basically just forty percent what reality is in twenty twenty three? And like, oh, a corporation owning a town? Mm. Not only did it happen in the 20s, it is on its way to happening again. You know what I mean? It's like, um, yeah. yeah. I mean, so I think that, Disney owns a town. Like, Disney has, like, doesn't Disney have its oh, own, I'm like, sure. neighborhood in Florida? Yeah. I'm sure. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> it, it, right. And it's just so, so, so there is something so weird about that that feels like, um, and I, I almost feel like she gets a little bit. At least the folks I know who really love Octavia Butler, she's she's being claimed by uh, like organizers and social yeah. justice folks a lot in a way that maybe I wonder if it doesn't give her sci-fi bona fides like enough credit. Yeah, not I that, mean, but there shouldn't have to be a should, distinction between them. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. Maybe, yeah. You know I think I mean. she's definitely a, a, was a huge part of like breaking down, and so much of everything today is about breaking down certain silos of like this is just this thing, and this is right the definition of science fiction, and science fiction doesn't tackle certain things. Um, but yeah, it's I, I haven't read Parable of the Sower yet, but um, I listened to this podcast. Uh, called uh the life writing <laughs> podcast that that uh, a married uh couple of authors co-host uh Tanana okay. Reeve Du and Stephen Barnes no relation that I know of okay. he's a sci-fi writer she's a horror writer and they both knew um Octavia Butler and uh <laughs> and cool. uh 
they love seeing this moment of of uh, her finally getting recognition for her her vision, her like very you know apt vision of of the potential future of everything. Yeah, yeah. I got a book of her. Like it's it's just a book uh like about her process, mm. and they did a lot of research. It's got like tons of her journals, oh, wow. receipts that yeah. she bought of things, and it was so comforting to read this like brilliant person just yeah. like i mean sad also in a way but mm. just like freaking out about money yeah freaking out about their talent <clears throat> hyping themselves up about their talent being like yeah i will win you know all the shit that she actually yeah like i will own win. a home and things like, yeah, 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 yeah 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 it's like it's really cool the 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 yeah the texture of those lives yeah She's i find very person i mean the fact that she I think she's from Pasadena. Yeah, just, yeah, yeah, there's, yeah. There's something about like uh, finding out that people are from California that's always weird. I don't know what it is. It's um, kind of a big. It's one of the main places. It's a big people place, but from. it never it never answers anything. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm. Like if someone tells you they're from Brooklyn, it feels like it means something. But something about like, especially like Pasadena, <laughs> it's, it's not like a, right, you know right, right, I mean? right. And that 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 makes her so much because like, I also identify with like I think there's like something about California that it's easy to kind of feel lost because it it is the it, the ta- it's the end of manifest destiny California I've come right. to this realization that like California is the wild west like nothing's on a grid everything's kind of siloed out into these like different regions and territories and there's mountains mm-hmm. and deserts and it's a it's a <laughs> it's a weird place. <laughs> Yeah, that and so do you think it I'm trying to find a way to tie that to sci-fi somehow that it feels like a a created like an attempt at utopia. Maybe, it does. A little bit. Yeah. And especially the, you know, you deal with that a lot in LA proper. You you get this sense of and some of these like old buildings, the sort of um regal nature of the style mm. of some of these old buildings and it's hard to it's like intentionally trying to get you not to think about the actual history of the location there's a lot of right fake history in california mm-hmm. things mm-hmm. that that get glossed over and like every i don't know if they still do this but every um like elementary school student uh, for a long time like i had to do this do you have these like mission projects where you make a model mission <laughs> oh like a, you, like a, you, a catholic yeah. mission yeah like a catholic mission you learn okay. you know a lot cuz there's a lot of catholic missions in in california and all that kind of right, stuff right right saying um, everything yeah, yeah. And it's it's such a swirl of stuff. Uh, yeah, that yeah. is weird. <laughs> I thought you were saying like a space mission, thing, oh, no. which which would also make sense because wasn't there's a there's a rocket place there yeah. in California somewhere, right? It's not just yeah. Florida. Yeah, there's a uh, yeah, there's, there's 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 everything everything you can imagine in California. There's a- <laughs> <laughs> just I, I it's great when the conversation gets to a point where you're just talking so generally that it just yeah i tend be... to do that so you, yeah you're gonna have to focus me get, okay get me focused. okay yeah, absolutely. i tend to dive into the abstract well the the thing that i want to know about the abstract of nothingness yeah is it sounds like it maybe doesn't freak you out anymore sometimes nothingness freaks me out but for the most part it doesn't anymore. I find it much more soothing than the heaven hell dilemma that can consume your yeah. your life and your everyday decisions. Right. What was uh, your um your I, was it? It was a Christian upbringing. Yeah, Christian upbringing, non denominational. 
Yeah. Um, Speaking in tongues? Uh, yes, it wasn't like a, a big deal wasn't made about it, mm-hmm. but I never could do that. I could never speak in tongues. I remember once like there's like a day at like the sort of Sunday school thing I went to where they're like, all right, we're going to teach you all how to speak in tongues. And I was just kind of like, all right. <laughs> this is, you know, I already, I already don't really dance. There's no way I'm gonna. <laughs> <laughs> this is just tongue dancing. Yeah. yeah. Well, I right. Think if- I, but at the same time, I do think there's something beautiful about speaking in tongues, and I especially, Me too, dude. especially uh, when I think about um, uh, the African diaspora, and I think about. You know, these languages Ooh, that wow. my family I don't know. We're so disconnected from a sense of specific African history that mm. uh, I do think that speaking in tongues has a, a different meaning in the bla- in the black church. It has is there something something bigger going on there. That this idea cool. of letting loose and speaking some 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 abstract language that's connecting you to the bigger <laughs> to the bigger universe and that transcends there. other languages and that, yeah. that other people can understand yeah your, yeah yeah your, yeah but i will that say barrier. that that ties into my fear that sort of abstraction ties into my fear is i don't i'm not, the reason that i don't dance really is because i'm afraid of letting loose i'm afraid of i'm afraid of letting the abstract flow through me you know, I like thinking about it, but I don't like the idea of letting letting go in this physical plane. <laughs> really? Really? Yeah. Okay. That is fascinating. <laughs> Do you, ha- you I mean, you must have had experiences of Yeah. I mean, yeah, the abstract I, taking you over. Yeah. Right? I, but I I always I'm always keeping my brain active. I have this weird tug and pull between my brain and whatever the opposite of that, of letting physicality take over, of letting, you know, adrenaline or whatever. I, I always feel like I need to control it. And I don't know why, but. <laughs> so what, when, when you're not able to control it, when mm-hmm. some experience of physicality, abstract energy coursing through you occurs, can you pinpoint, are there moments, obviously you're not like putting yourself in the way of it when yeah. like by choosing to dance, but is yeah, it yeah. like, oh, when I walk on the sunny side of the street, this happens. Uh. So I always go in the shade, you know, or something <laughs> like that. Or so, so are there, are there specific situations uh. where it happens and what is the experience of it? Like, what is it that you don't like about it or are yeah. afraid of? Well, I, I like it in contained ways. I think that's why I love going to the movies. That's a sort of like contained apps. It's a communal thing, but it's focused mm-hmm. on one thing and you can still keep your brain active while it's happening. Music, listening to music does that a lot. I feel like it's, it might be connected to sometimes I, when I'm wearing like two earbuds and I'm listening to music that I'm really is like stirring up an emotion or something or that's I'm really like enjoying in a transcendent way I get this feeling of like uh anxiety and paranoia and claustrophobia and I and, and something about not when the, I'm listening to the music but I can't almost like hear myself breathe I don't like that I have to take an earbud out I have to you know that oh. it feels like a loss of control so I don't it feels connected somehow that thing yeah um 
but also stand up is a big part of that that what w- the the when you get into that flow state on stage right where the, you know the jokes are coming through and then suddenly like you're riffing that very much in the moment thing but i will say i like that also because stand up has an element of control i never really enjoyed improv but something about i was gonna the, ask yeah. <laughs> There's a, there's a, it's like, it's, it's almost like, con- like that feeling of conducting the laughter. I really enjoy, uh-huh, uh-huh. but that also, I think is also a form of control in a way. And, uh, there's also something dangerous about that too. Like one of the the freakiest things, uh, like the laugh factory in Chicago, this huge space was yeah. why I, I learned that performing in front of a huge crowd is easier than performing in front of a small one. And that. <clears throat> that always sends me in the spiral of like this is how dictators are born <laughs> right I mean? oh like, dude i think yeah. about that all the time with open mics like what was it like the the you hear about like hitler and these beer halls and stuff and i'm like he was standing on a milk crate just like yeah. we were you know what i mean it's like and some of these guys could really go that yeah, way yeah, yeah. if they tried but then know? when you realize like the bigger the crowd the easier it is to con- to sort yeah. of control yeah. them in a way like i it's easier to control the laughter when it's a huge group um that's also like there's a dub- double-edged strangeness to all that and i feel like certain people like dave Chappelle, like people who kind of rise up to a certain level they have to deal with with whatever the the morality of that scenario is. Well, yeah, that's a very interesting case right now. <laughs> yeah. um, I mean, well, because there it's like, yes, but you also hear dudes who perform and lady, you know, anyone who I, I specifically say dudes when it comes to open mics, because yeah. that is that is the Hitler feeling is dudes. Yeah. Yeah. Um but people who perform in the really big venues, I feel like talk about it not being able to control it in some ways or needing to like distance for, like, y- you know, the, the weight you need yeah. for the laughter to roll back at you, mm-hmm. you know, to slow your delivery down, to pause a little bit longer after punchlines. It yeah. does seem like once they are a big entity, that crowd and even it translates to the internet i think a little bit like Mm -hmm. starts to dictate things back at you yeah oh my goodness i feel like we're writing a sci-fi novel now (laughs) yeah yeah it's a it's a borg borgian sort of situation (laughs) have you thought about funeral planning have i thought about funeral planning i mean in general just you know, as time goes by, you start to think about like, what will, will this look like for not me, but my parents or, you know, my grandpa, uh, who's, uh, you know, going through some stuff right now. You start to, you know, it's, it's becoming more of a conversation in my everyday life. Yeah. Because, you know, people in my life are, have dealt with it and are having to confront this more often. Uh, but for me, I don't, uh, I what what I think the most about is um just the weird group of people who will who would likely attend my funeral. Okay. <laughs> I just think about cuz I I just have I know a lot of different people for different reasons and uh I I don't often have them arrive in the same space. I have a very compartmentalized sort of thing going on. Yeah. And so I I you know, some people say they wish they could attend their funeral. 
not i don't wish i could attend for to hear what they have to say i just want to see how they interact <laughs> with each other that's why I so what are the slices what are the different lives <laughs> you've lived that this that come here um i guess you know it's like people in my, like uh just like my immediate family i feel like uh-huh. there's a disconnect with like comedy friends like weird like the like you know from you know some of the chicago people and that kind of thing mm-hmm. um and yeah i think that's really i think that's really it it's just like a lot of a lot of disjointed points of uh of connection where i just i can't imagine I mean, I, I kind of have that same feeling for the wedding coming up. <laughs> That's what I was going to ask. I mean, you kind of have the opportunity yeah. to plan that. Um, are you doing any of that intentionally? Is there a specific uh, combo? And if you if you have a name, that's fine. I don't mm-hmm. give enough of a shit about like <laughs> blowing up anybody's spot to, uh. to be like, oh, name, names. But <laughs> is there a specific person or a specific type of person that you really imagine meeting someone in your family, whether your mom, your uncle, your grandma, whoever it is, are you like, I just don't know how <laughs> this one yeah, heroin yeah, yeah. addict I know who's a great oh. guy. Well, yeah. I, okay, now that you've kind of brought that up, it, I think a lot of it, um, I think, uh, well, the reason I have so many compartmentalization issues is because... I've always had this, uh, uh, I have this, dis- okay, we were talking about, dis- I, I often have a sort of disconnect from my own physical body, like, I always feel like I'm kind of floating outside of it, and then I kind of arrive for <laughs> for whatever, mm-hmm. you know, has to happen or whatever, yeah. uh, <laughs> but um, I think the reason that I have that disconnect is because I, uh, I never... I, I don't feel in the in the the moment, and I guess a lot maybe that has to do with like expectations. So I don't feel I don't feel connected to class. I don't feel connected to region. I don't feel <laughs> I don't feel connected to um uh you know certain you know social social things. And so yeah. that's part of the that's part of the clash because so many people in my life are more connected to those things. So like, you know, some of my family members are like some of them are, you know, ex gang members or, you know, there's, there's all mm. these um, just scales of things. So like that's part of it, too. It's part of its class. You know, like I have family members uh, who are and I don't even I, I didn't grow up with a, a proper concept of class, but I have all the anxieties wrapped around wrapped around that so certain people meeting you know friends that i made going to city college in santa barbara for instance like uh just like these these weird clashes of of things on on those sorts of levels is really what it's about yeah but it's but i mean i'm pretty sure you do feel a connection to race yes yeah so how does that break through the lack of (laughs) the lack of connection to identities I th- I think that um in my comedy there is a a constant exploration of race. I was actually mm-hmm. just kind of talking to someone about um I I have a, a, a this great ability to make all kinds of people feel at ease and I think a part of that part of my success 
has been choosing when people think about race when it comes to me. Wow. And that, you know what I mean? I, yeah. I, can, I can abstract yeah. myself. Whew. And a part of that process is what it's like it's the double-edged sword of everything that's what i'm talking about that's why i'm so obsessed with perception and trying to control perception is because um i guess if there's a safety element like i don't have to think about it mm-hmm. <laughs> but, but mm-hmm. uh i'm always exploring it because i i i i feel comfortable floating ab- above looking at everything and then commenting on it and then floating out again if that makes any sense yeah i mean are there specific moves that say say on stage or (laughs) in a social situation (laughs) where you're the center of attention however briefly what are moves that you know to pull to make people think more or less about (laughs) race is it just is it just literally saying like talking about you know uh, not that any of your <laughs> jokes start with as a black man in America or anything <laughs> like that. You know what I mean? But like, are are there are there specific things like that? Um, well, it's funny you say that because I do. I have a joke where I where I comment. I use the phrase personally as a black man as a way to get away with things. Okay, but that's okay. part of it too. Like in my in my stand up, I I always feel like I'm I'm. It's all about that. It's about controlling when this joke is about me being black and when this joke mm-hmm. is about. Me just being an abs- an abstract person, um, right? Right. There's no other identities pointed into. It's yeah, just yeah, like yeah. black or void. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then like, hey, reminder, I'm black again, and that's right, like right, the sh- right. And it's almost like I'm trying to control the shock of that, of like, yeah. oh, I haven't been thinking about this person as a black person. Now I am, uh, right. and the uncomfortable of of that, I think sometimes is what gets the laugh. Um, in my personal life i think well i certain certain weird things where um i'm interested in perception because i think that's that is what the uh when i talk to like younger comedians i always tell them like figure out what the elephant is the room when you walk on stage Mm -hmm. before you say anything all the assumptions that someone might have about you is what you can mine and control and and write jokes about so I, for some reason, feel like when I walk on stage, the first thought is, what type of black person is this? And so <laughs> mm. I allow that that question alone and kind of knowing that that is the immediate question and that something about me makes people like want to ask that question, <laughs> want to ask that question. Wait, what, what type of black guy is this? What, what am I getting myself into? And so right. I imagine maybe there's a shock when I start talking and this is just how I talk. Or maybe, you know, I imagine all these different levels of shock and, 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 uh, so, so that's, that's it. I don't know if that answers your question. Oh, no, no, no. It does. Yeah. It does. And it like begs so many others as well. It's really, <laughs> it, it is re- because, you know, that question of like, what are the unspoken or the elephants in the room is like, could be so much less specific than what type of black person this is. It could be, it could be, Oh, he's black. But going, yeah. what type of black person? You know what I mean? Yeah, and yeah, I think yeah. because I think that whether they do it, they I think they must do it unconsciously. But I think what makes a hackier comedian is when that question is more general. Oh yeah, than yeah, yeah. than um than what type? You know, it, because that's how someone ends up talking about 
men and versus women <laughs> yeah, yeah. or, or yeah, black people do this, white people do that. That kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. It is. I'm, I, and now I'm like questioning it for myself. I'm like, <laughs> what's mine? I, I think I kind of resent um, uh, th- having to ask that question because oh, yeah. I, because my relationship to physicality mm. is has gotten more distant as well. Uh-huh. Um, and I uh, am just like, I don't want to spend time like acknowledging that I look like Jack Black a little bit. To you. you know what I mean? I'm like, that's fucking boring to me. Like I want to yeah, like, yeah, yeah. like let's get to like heavier shit or yeah. it's wild. I saw, I saw a clip recently of a, um, of a comedian who I know who's, who I think is a great guy. And so much of his set, was based on his outfit, oh, his yeah. hair, yeah, and 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 it was kind of specific. It it wasn't soup just hacky, but it's like you almost turned yourself into a little like Jack in the Box, where it's like you 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 made this whole panorama of just your look, yeah. yeah. And I'm and I'm like that feel that doesn't feel that interesting to me to 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 make these choices. Like I would rather f- comment on or figure out things about the world that mm. exists beyond here. I created some imaginary things. Oh, I dressed like a <laughs> juggalo for this set. Why am I dressed like a juggalo? Yeah, and the answer yeah, yeah. is so you could have something to say on stage about how you look like a juggalo. <laughs> and it just becomes this like recursive thing that answers itself and is, you know, boring. Yeah. Um. So anyway, that that's a little bit, the, the real thing I want to ask you is about the physicality stuff. Okay. Are you comfortable with that floating above? And inhabiting, because for me, I feel guilty and I'm like, my actual values are I would really like to learn how to be present, to yeah. be comfortable in my body. Yeah. Um, but then again, I have to admit, I would very much like to just be an idea box sometimes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I I do think uh, I'm definitely most comfortable having that floating out of body sense. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and then I'm, I'm always, uh, it's all, and then it's always like, wait, why did, why did something happen? <laughs> you know, the, 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 I, <laughs> you know, cause I'm, I'm sitting all this time, like floating out of my body. And now I'm like in trouble for something. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Um, and so I'm trying to learn not to have that base frustration and, and learn how unhealthy that, frustration is and yeah um yeah i guess you know uh you know accepting the responsibilities of of life really um and being have to be present for others and uh the the song but i think yeah it's uh but do you want to i know i know we have to i know these are supposedly objectively good things but how much (laughs) of you like wants to you know, it's a part of my floating out is I don't think too much about want. And as beautiful as that sounds, it's also not great as yeah, well. Not thinking a little about horrible want. To me. It, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, um, I, I think, uh, the focus becomes, um, really cementing the feeling at the end of whatever struggle, like knowing 
remit like when when you go through a struggle and you have that satisfaction at the end of the process I have to remember what that satisfaction feels like in order to want to keep going through whatever daily struggles it maybe struggles isn't the right word but it's like you know the struggles of like being for someone in the right way and trying to reach a certain milestone in that um uh because part of you just wants to run away yeah run away yeah and so how to be uh especially like in since the pandemic and everything kind of you know getting used to this like zoom world that we're communicating in right now it uh i realized how much of uh my friendships and uh you know just being around people was very incidental and i loved the incidental nature of it it wasn't intentional like i bump into people because i was going from point a to point b they're mm-hmm. my coworkers they're the people that happen to be at the same open mic that you know <laughs> yeah. Yeah. a lot of it wasn't uh intent um and it's uh it feels uh, uncomfortable as a you know i'm approaching 35 to be learning how to uh, say, hey, I want to hang out in with intent to someone, you know, <laughs> to want to be all, all so many of my friend like things I had, like great things, great friends that I have were all through circumstance, not through intention, really. Yeah. So that's a big thing for me to work on. People really like it when you say, I, I want to hang out with intent. I think that that works. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about a particularly, well, it could be an embodied thing or it could not, but this show comes from my second one-man show Mm. that's set in the afterlife. And one of the features of the afterlife in that show is that you get to fully relive one memory. So you get to choose one memory to pop into and out of whenever you want, completely re-experience, almost like a room you can open and close whenever if that were the case, what memory do you choose? Oh, my goodness. I should remember that you told me. I think you told me about this, and I must have forgotten it. Did I? What? Oh, maybe you didn't. I don't know. When don't you told so. me about the show. Okay. Um, yeah. This is a tough thing to ask someone who has a lot of uh, floating outside their, outside their right, body. Right, right. You're like, that one time when I felt <laughs> okay. <laughs> But it doesn't here, – here uh, while, you, while you think, here's some other yeah. jogging uh, – uh, memory jogging techniques I've got. It doesn't okay. have to be a summary yeah, of your yeah. life. You're not uh, – you, it doesn't have to be the best. It doesn't even have to be positive. I, yeah. It would be weird if you wanted to like keep it if there weren't some interesting elements. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, it can also – usually I let people back into this rather than suggest it. It okay. can be – kind of place based mm-hmm. may you know like i've had people say like certain holiday dinners with their family that is kind mm-hmm. of an amalgamation of things a little bit you know what i mean yeah um so it can be a thing that that happened more than once okay god this is uh <laughs> i feel like i'm gonna give you the weirdest answer that's fine. And but also, I, this, we're not live, so I, I do edit these. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm just trying to think of, uh, uh, I mean, a lot of the joys in my life come when I think, oh, the childhood version of me is is, ha- is like ecstatic. 
right now. You yeah. know what I mean? So I'm like what to- were the childhood version what what was the childhood version of you looking forward to? I mean, that's why I feel like I'm going to give you the weirdest answer because so many of my childhood joys were not interactions. They were just like being at the at the movies. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> yeah. So I guess if I could relive going to the movies again as a kid, that that would be it, but um I guess, you know, cuz I was really into the zeitgeist, really into the zeitgeist of Star Wars the Phantom Menace. And there's also, if I could go back to that before, and I was 10 years old when that came out. So this is before every, all the thing, layers of reasons why, you know, some people don't like the movie. Sure, sure, sure. As the the youthful bliss of uh, falling into the hype machine of Star Wars The Phantom Menace and going to see it, I would love to to relive that again. So let's, how long of a period is this? (laughs) Because it clearly encompasses more than the movie. So yeah, how yeah. long were you in that hype machine for? For a, for a while. It came out in 1999. I was still in elementary school. I must have been in the fourth or fifth grade, I think. Uh-huh. Um, and internet wasn't really popping back then. So how did you find out about it? Because it was everywhere. They were selling like the uh, like if right. you go to Taco Bell or Subway. There were like these Star Wars cups, and it was it was like the whole thing. Like all these like uh, there were these magazines at every store, and like there were cereal, and mm-hmm. um, and it kind of got me into fandom too because I would go to StarWars.com. We had like CompuServe, you know, mm-hmm. old dial-up sound, uh, and I would just like I was just downloading information in my brain about characters and planets and all this stuff. Yeah. Um, and I remember, you know, downloading the QuickTime file to watch the trailer yeah, of Phantom yeah. Menace over and over again and uh, getting the John Williams uh, album before the movie came out. So, like, blasting Duel of the Fates and falling into the this I... Something I'm obsessed with is this sort of, like, uh, this myth of George Lucas, like falling into the, like a true myth, like yeah. a mythical being <laughs> is how George Lucas was, uh, was presented. And I identified with it as well because he, he's from California. Uh-huh, he's uh-huh. he, uh, very monotone, quiet guy. And he was just sort of this example of like a quiet guy with a big vision. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? I love that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I, I, uh, uh, I, Grew up in uh, the same house my dad grew up in, in South Central LA, which is really close close to USC. And George Lucas went to oh, USC, so that was cool. also a part of the the myth. Like the guy who made this big movie went to school like a couple blocks away from my house, yeah. uh, and that's where you know all that stuff was a part of it. And I was a fan until literally until I met. Uh, my friend Ian, Ian Abramson, in, in high school, I was really into the hype machine of like, you saw no fault in the Phantom Menace or Attack of the Clones until my Ian, who was like, loved Mad Magazine and stuff, was like, dude, come on. Uh, uh, <laughs> like, really? Br- <laughs> so he, he, he disenfranchised you yeah. from your fandom. Which is, which is great, because now I have... I still I love it in this in this meta way where it's fun to make fun of it, but still know that I you know that yeah I lo- you know this sort of spark of of the love of it is still there. Okay, so this was a so this was a years long. You saw the movie and were yeah. like, checks out. 
this is dope. <laughs> this is as good as I wanted it. Yeah, to be. and then my parents knew like whenever, for everyone, like what do I get Tim for Christmas? Anything? Star- I had so many Star Wars toys. Yeah. People just knew he liked Star Wars. Get him something Star Wars. Yeah. So it's almost a place in your brain. Yeah. That was running parallel with your life that yeah. you were dropping into and out of whenever you wanted or could just yeah. by visiting Star Wars or collecting the cups or mm-hmm. or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. By it, visiting it is StarWars.com. Not, yeah, 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 yeah. I realized I said visiting Star Wars. <laughs> but it does feel like that. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. And there's, there's so many books and things like that. And it's what's weird is like now like I was so into it as a, as a kid. And now I feel um, like I'm not as in the know. You know what I mean? There's so much other stuff. Mm. And, you know, a new generation has gotten into it for different reasons. And it's it's weird to be at this place with a this the fact that a franchise can reach that level is is interesting and it's different than Star Trek. Star Trek's been around for about fifty years now, right? I think, and uh, but it still has it's a different tonality it has with the the fans than Star Wars has. Like uh, Star Wars is something slightly more spiritual. <laughs> <laughs> in ways that are worth analyzing than Star, Star Wars Trek. is more spiritual. I think, think so. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Or the huh. feelings people have attached to it is uh it's it's uh, sometimes concerning and how 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 deeply felt it is. Um in the I guess in a way that like it feels like Star Trek fans are often in on the joke like they know that this started off as a sort of campy tv mm-hmm, show in the 60s mm-hmm. you know what i mean like yeah and it was an episodic tv show with a lot of mistakes made in some of these episodes you right know I mean? but with right, star right, wars right. these were like uh you know a decade of events and then it went away for a decade and it came back with a decade of other events and just now is getting to the place where it's like there's an oversaturation of, of like right. visual Star Wars content. Yeah. So do you feel guilty not keeping up with it at all? Or are you like, oh, man, I wish I knew what. <laughs> Sometimes I think, yeah, I think we there's like uh, I don't think there's like there. we should get to the point where we classify different types yeah. of fans. And I think I am, uh, again, t- my obsession with the abstract, an abstract fan of a, of a lot of franchises right now where I, it's hard for me to dive deep into the, the passion of it, but I love analyzing them. Totally. I, yeah. my, the, the pandemic t- flipped on a love of franchises for me <laughs> as well, just because it is, you're just staring at an endless sea of like, Especially, you know, we kind of emailed before this about having a depressive personality. You're like, well, here's the fucking solution right here. I've got, I mean, I watched 40 seasons of Survivor in four months. Oh, wow. Well, that's Um, how, how do you feel about that? Sometimes I feel, uh, I mean, it feels like we're, we're kind of coaxed into having these, these, uh, out of our own body experiences of how much television we watch and that it feels like we're required to watch. You know what I mean? Right. Um, and I think that was, I mean, I was a part of this as well that I don't think I mentioned is I was a pretty, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of going back and forth with how much I say I was a sheltered kid, but I, I wasn't allowed to go outside really as a kid because it was kind of a dangerous time in the, in the okay. neighborhood in sure. the, yeah. the early nineties. So I wasn't allowed to go outside and go around the block and that kind of stuff. Right. So I, I was kind of born into like, oh yeah, I'm zoning out into like 
my brain or like what's on TV or what I'm reading. I didn't have like, you know, I ran outside and this friend did this and then we rode our, rode our bikes and right. then I had a tuffle with this, you know. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, the the tuffles were a little more serious, it sounds yeah, like. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I grew up in the suburbs, and it was, yeah, a lot of riding bikes, a lot of cul-de-sac uh, yeah. culture. And that's, uh, I have a gripe with uh, E.T., and I, I, it's probably unfair, but I was so jealous of that neighborhood that Elliot grew up in, in E.T., and so I, I always was like, you want me to be mad at you, like, feel for this kid who got about this divorce when he gets to ride his bike in this, like, right. <laughs> this beautiful neighborhood? <laughs> well, and, oh, my God. And that's the kind of thing. I mean, you're you're familiar with, like, not not just trying to please whoever the, the work of art is for, but you think a little bit about, like, okay, do I need to explain this to make this accessible to this group? Or, you know, just even with a joke, you know, do you explain yeah, yeah, yeah. a weird word or a weird reference? And there's no way Spielberg or anyone was thinking, <laughs> like, well, we need to make this accessible to kids who weren't really able to go outside. They're really yeah, going to yeah. resent this, you know what I mean? Yeah, to me, part of the sci-fi of it was that neighborhood. And it's, and so many right. shows are like that too. We're like so many, I think a lot of shows about white people are actually like fantasy and sci-fi to Ooh. people of color. That's real. <laughs> that That's you, so you fucking get real. To, you get to not think about yourself. I think what white people get watching Avatar, I sort of get <laughs> watching Succession. You know what I mean? <laughs> Uh, absolutely i mean yeah, yeah no no totally the, and that's like i mean that's the like prison police abolitionist thing of like th- it's there's already y- you know these rich will met uh yeah. in 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 chicago the chicago suburb it's like already has abolition because there's yeah, no yeah. fucking police you know what i mean <laughs> just like like you're living this future that people say is like oh that's crazy it's a you know, toxic slogan or whatever. It's like, yeah, it's not that fucking crazy, man. <laughs> when you like really look at who the way at the way people live in, yeah, in yeah. and how different it is uh, yeah. between, yeah, segments of society. You know, now, the more I'm thinking about it, the perfect afterlife is if I'm just a brain with eyes floating in space. <laughs> you know, I keep sure. You but know, why? And I, and, and I have, and I have, and I have no hunger. Mm-hmm. Uh, am I saying the perfect afterlife? Is, I feel like I'm going to end up saying the perfect afterlife is is if I'm God. I don't want to create things, but yeah. if I can just sort of explore uh-huh. and 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 have no no needs like thirst or hunger and just absorb information, it's a perfect afterlife. What's your coma? And this just means any moment of transformation where before Mm. you were one version of yourself and after you were another. Uh, I don't even need to explain my coma. The concept (laughs) makes sense. Uh, I think you know about it, though. And uh, yeah, yeah. so that's Um, that's the idea. When I was one person and then I wasn't. two of them one of them is fairly fairly recent yeah um 
but the first one is uh when i was in santa barbara we don't have to it's a long story but i was uh i was stabbed by a stranger in the back of my left shoulder and uh and it that was symbolically in my mind it felt that you know that thing i mentioned earlier like i'm always floating out and then like why did that happen and it feels like because right. why because I do that so often, I have this feeling that the physical world is trying to is is angry that I do that and wants to attack. You know what I mean? Mm. Almost like uh, is antibodies the right word? I have this like abstract feeling that because I tune out so much, the world just like picks these little moments to like. Right, like, like you're the virus, and it is yeah, like yeah. white sending white blood cells at you. Or yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Fuck. And so that was one. And I was I hadn't specifically done comedy yet, but um, that was there's something transformative about that happening that I haven't been able to fully contextualize. Really, and that was recent. Um, no, that was uh, years ago. Uh, okay. probably two thousand nine or yeah like 2009 i think nine or ten well were Um, you more physically embodied before that is that what changed part of what changed maybe maybe i I think what what really changed was that i i I feel like there must be something with that and like why i kind of like stopped going to college and i went, went to city college or whatever but I kind of stopped, and uh, it was was just like a a wake-up call to something. I don't know. I think I also have this uh, – you you mentioned guilt at one point. I don't remember why, but I also have this weird – it was like this sort of guilt that I had, you know, because I was was going to college – like I grew up in South Central L.A., and and, uh, that sort of divide that I – ended up having not by just anything but it just felt like i always felt these abstract sort of frictions i don't know if it's race or class or what and i was trying i've always been trying to find a path where i can just be a person and not have to like deal with (laughs) with, with all this stuff and the getting stabbed also felt like a part of that as well of like this wake-up call of you can't live in this fantasy world that you're trying to create, if that makes any sense, this sort of like, mm-hmm. there's a lot going on. Cause it was like, uh, I don't remember if that was before or after it was like, it, it must, it, it could have been before, right, right before, or right after Barack Obama was elected. You know what I mean? But like wow. all like these sort of questions in my head as a young person were also like extrapolating themselves in society at the time of like, what, you know these questions i have of what kind of black person i am yeah it's like the nation was having that right conversation right and so you went it, to it santa was, barbara city college yeah 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 okay got, and, and santa barbara is my only i remember there being a like uh, some sort of it's a party town sort of sort of yeah yeah uh, especially like around uc santa barbara that's like one of the biggest party sort of college towns right. but then outside of that it's like oprah has a house there um mm. a lot of like sort of like rich white <laughs> white kids are there sure, sure. and uh but this yeah. is the distinction between where you grew up and, and yeah 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 so i always had you know i would i was in so many situations where it was like 
I often felt like my parents can't even imagine the, the situation I'm mm, in. And that yeah. sort of thing would give me this weird guilt or anxiety or whatever. And so that getting stabbed just felt like a wake up call to something or as like a, like kind of broke a bubble of something. I don't, I don't know what. Yeah. Um, and then I started, you know, getting into comedy and stuff and it, it made me have this, uh, it gave me this reason to have a laser focus of, of thinking about death a little bit. Like I, it, like it, it could have hit my lung, whatever he stabbed me with. Oh, wow. And it, but it didn't. And, uh, um, it, it gave me this momentum that even like throughout my time in Chicago, it, it just sort of like focused on like, yeah, not caring about consequences so much anymore. It wasn't exactly a near death experience, but it could have been is what it is. And it was, it was, it, and it, the re, uh, it, there was no build up. It felt so random too. I think that's why I give it such a, um, almost metaphysical meeting because there was sure. no, specific element of conversation that led to it there <laughs> it just it just happened it was a white guy and so then the other thing is like this thing that i'm always analyzing in my personal life of like i don't was this a hate crime what what did the, what wow. what did this person see when they decided to stab me you know what i mean right. nothing about the nothing about the conversation was connected to race but it Race could have been a factor. Who knows? You know. So, so but there was a conversation beforehand. <laughs> there was a conversation, yeah, and it was just like I think he was just looking for a reason to. Maybe he thought I had money or something, but okay, looking for a reason okay. to looking for a reason to hurt me for some reason. Well, I mean, um, it sounds like there, there there is a way that sounds like a much too clean interpretation, where it sounds like your entire stand up persona could be crafted to avoid this type of thing happening in the future where it's like where it's like i don't know what it was about me but if i can control oh yeah. every everything about <laughs> me i can avoid being stabbable i'm i'm trying to yeah. make myself unstabbable yeah, yeah 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 it's weird this weird and not like no one i don't know how much they even looked for the guy um oh of course yeah but yeah. i've it's i've over the years just packed so many strange meanings to this occurrence where he's not even a human being anymore. He's just the world deciding to do, to do something almost. Well, this is um, really interesting too, because I think it's, it sounds like it's transcended before and after a little bit and yeah. become just a symbol that you use when, for your own, um, Convenience is the wrong word, but but to help you understand things, yeah. Where it's like, oh, th when I think about how the world's out to get me, this is one of the images that pops up. When yeah. I think about being jolted into a world different from my upbringing or more physical than my brain is, this is what I think of. So it sounds like it's yeah. just like, um, like a totem almost. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's a weird one where it, it it doesn't define me in the way that uh, people might expect, right. or but it right. just definitely stands out. Just the randomness of it, that, of the seeming randomness of it, but also intent. <laughs> right, right. And it um, seems like you can, but it, you're also able to use it to motivate you. Yeah, 
Yeah. Like, not that it would be this specific, but almost like when you're tempted to spend the night on your couch in Chicago, you go, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, but I was stabbed by that one guy once, so I should probably <laughs> yeah. go to a yeah. show or yeah. something. Yeah. Yeah, I never really thought about it, but I think that there were, you know, there was a, yeah, this feeling of survival, I guess, or like, yeah, the one of the worst possible things that, I don't know, just like, I feel like I, and now I have this sort of plateau that isn't that, but I feel like I've, I've amassed like way more experiences than were intended for me. <laughs> Where really? I, I, right. I almost, like, yeah. I, I almost feel like I'm, I'm, uh, I'm living, you know, the, uh, like some bonus chapters because I've just had so many, exp- like, you know, especially when you're doing a bunch of comedy and you're traveling and, you know, I've been away from, uh, California for so long and, and just, and then you kind of wake up and part of that wake up is like during quarantine or whatever. And you're like, wow, suddenly all these experiences have led to me writing for the tonight show for some, <laughs> for some reason, you know what I mean? And, for some <laughs> and, and oh, none of that God. stuff was guaranteed. And then it's like, oh yeah. yeah a certain level of certain things you go oh wow now i'm sort of in the coda of <laughs> of of all this hopefully a long coda a long coda yeah. but it's yeah. just you know maybe this is just uh one of those sort of almost like a i think there's a series of puberties that people go through in their life mm-hmm. and this is i feel like i'm in the middle of that i'm also saying this because i'm about to turn 35 and every five years i have some sort of crisis Oh, but, um, good. Glad glad we're catching you on the... <laughs> well, are we on the front end or are we in the middle? <laughs> we're maybe in the middle, yeah. This is like the preamble to whatever. But I, I think I've uh, achieved a certain level of things where I'm, I'm mostly okay. But like 25 was a big one where I was like, I, you know, it's only five more years until I'm 30. And, then, and now I'm, now I'm, I need to, you know... But if I hit 30 and haven't dirt, done certain things, I need to take a cold, hard look at my life and try and figure out how to work construction or something right um so is it just a an emotional panic at these five-year marks or is it were were there experiences (laughs) that you sought out or that happened yeah i guess it was like an emotional thing but it's i think a lot of it is uh definitely it's like uh both creative and financial but i Mm. i genuinely felt like the creative creative avenue was the only way for me to to reach a certain thing you know yeah because i don't i don't understand the other stuff i don't i i i i'm trying not to say this with joy because sometimes i do but i i genuinely don't understand how the system of college works or what a ba or that's i don't I don't have meanings to it, so I I really need people to to tell me like oh, this means this, and if you get this, then you can get this kind of job, and this kind of job means something called a salary. <laughs> you know I mean? yeah, 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 yeah. Like I yeah, don't. I think a lot you know. of people have that with insurance, <laughs> yeah. like having to learn like what a premium is and a deductible yeah, yeah. and all that stuff. But you had that with like the entire working world. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and it's. <laughs> uh but it's just because like it's a certain level of things where it's just like it wasn't even like a casual norm for my parents like my mom right does hair and my dad is a plaster so that this sort of like going to college and i I didn't under like okay uh (laughs) well it's really interesting because by being maybe it's by being a head ish guy that you maybe almost in absence are able to 
one of the default things that I project onto you, and there's no mm. way that I can be alone in this, is an amount of certainly intellect, if not intellectualism, mm. where it's like, I would never guess that you are baffled by BA, BS, <laughs> you know, how to make a resume, that stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause, cause you don't, yeah, you don't exude, maybe it's class. Maybe you don't exude like a working class yeah. demeanor, you know what and I mean? And that the, is like, my stereotype of that. That is my magic trick, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of people assume for some reason that I have like a college degree or like, like right. anything, and I absolutely do not. And it has been one of the great joys in life is like, I feel like I get away with stuff uh, because all of my life is like, you got to go to college to mean anything. People are going to, at the interview, they're going to want to see your degree. And I never, under, like, do you roll out your degree at the, or the I don't know how this stuff works, but. Um, and so, so you literally I, are doing the Jedi. <laughs> these are not the droids you're looking for. Yeah, yeah. But when it comes to like college degrees. Yeah. And, and it was always explained to me, but not in a way that was understandable. It Not in a way that was like, that cemented itself in my head. It just, it sounded like a bunch of just like jazz, all that stuff. And so I kind of like when I do engage with those parts of life, I feel like I'm playing. I, it is a game and I feel like I'm playing a game and I'm just like, did I win yet? Do I finally get to just like live? <laughs> that's the show thank you for listening thanks to tim for being on the show subscribe to both of his Substacks. subscribe and listen to his podcast yub nub and find all my links in the show notes go to patreon.com slash dave marr for more of the podcast and until next week remember you are a mist things that seem impossible you can do miracles Miracles, you can do them. Have faith, you're human.